ABCs of NMOSD is an education podcast series to share knowledge about neuromyelitis optica spectrum disorder, or NMOSD, a rare relapsing autoimmune disorder that preferentially causes inflammation in the optic nerves and spinal cord. ABCs of NMOSD podcast series is hosted by SRNA the Siegel Rare Neuroimmune Association, and in collaboration with the Sumaira Foundation for NMO and Guthie Jackson Charitable Foundation. This education series is made possible through a patient education grant from Horizon Therapeutics. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the ABCs of NMOSD podcast series. Today's podcast is titled, What is Tolerization? ABCs of NMOSD is an education podcast series to share knowledge about neuromyelitis optica spectrum disorder. My name is Chrissy Dilger, and I will be moderating this podcast. This podcast series is hosted by the Siegel Rare Neuroimmune Association in collaboration with the Samira Foundation for NMO and the Guthy Jackson Charitable Foundation. This podcast is being recorded and will be made available on the SRNA website and for download. ABCs of NMOSD is made possible through a patient education grant from Horizon Therapeutics. Horizon is focused on the discovery, development, and commercialization of medicines that address critical needs for people impacted by rare, autoimmune, and severe inflammatory diseases. They apply scientific expertise and courage to bring clinically meaningful therapies to patients. Horizon believes science and compassion must work together to transform lives. For today's podcast, we are pleased to be joined by Drs. Terry Smith and Michael Yeaman. Dr. Terry J. Smith, the Frederick G. L. Hutwell Professor Emeritus in Ophthalmology and Visual Sciences at the University of Michigan, is an internationally known endocrinologist who has studied Graves' disease, its eye manifestations, and related autoimmune disease for over 20 years. Dr. Smith received his medical degree from the University of Missouri School of Medicine and completed his residency at the University of Illinois in Chicago in Sinai Hospital in Baltimore. He has completed fellowships in biophysics at the University of California School of Medicine, San Francisco, in molecular biochemistry at Columbia University in New York, and clinical endocrinology at the Pritzker School of Medicine, University of Chicago. Dr. Smith is the author of over 275 articles and book chapters and has been awarded five patents for his research discoveries. He has been elected to the Orbit Society as Chief Scientific Officer for the National Graves Foundation and serves as a reviewer for numerous scientific journals. Dr. Smith has been funded continuously by the National Institutes of Health and the Veterans Administration since 1983. Dr. Michael Yeaman is Professor of Medicine, David Geffen School of Medicine at UCLA, Chief Division of Molecular Medicine and Vice Chair, Department of Medicine, Harbor UCLA Medical Center. He is also the Director of the Institute for Infection and Immunity, Lundquist Institute for Biomedical Innovation. He joined the faculty of the UCLA School of Medicine in 1992 after graduating from the University of New Mexico School of Medicine and completing NIH 
and AHA fellowships. Dr. Yeaman serves as Chair Medical Advisor at the Guthy Jackson Charitable Foundation. Along with his research on NMOSD and related autoimmune diseases, he has pioneered design and development of novel anti-infective agents and vaccines for antibiotic-resistant infections. Dr. Yeaman has published over 250 papers and serves on the editorial board of Premier Journals. He holds more than 50 issued U.S. patents and has received notable honors including the NIH Innovation Award, the Weizmann Memorial Research Award, the Alexander Research Award, and the National Research Service Award. On a parallel note, Michael is a composer and performer with original works in films and documentaries. His music has been acclaimed by venues including the Los Angeles Times. He has a special interest in applying music and art to medicine, focusing on therapeutic neuroplasticity. His music is available on iTunes, Spotify, Amazon, and other streaming services, and expressed in the Pandora music genome. Thank you both for joining us. And if you want to just get us started by introducing yourselves. Hi, Chrissy. My name is Dr. Michael Yeaman. I'm a professor of medicine at the UCLA School of Medicine in Los Angeles. Uh, and I'm Terry Smith, endocrinologist at the University of Michigan. Well, we really appreciate SRNA's invitation to talk about tolerization, and we've kind of called this uh, discussion Tolerization 101 because, you know, the immune system is a very complex and in some ways mysterious aspect of the body. But just as sometimes the immune system can make mistakes, we also think that those mistakes can be corrected. And that is called tolerization or retolerization. And hopefully those kinds of corrections can be applied to cures for NMOSD and MOGAD. And that's what we'll be talking about today. So why don't we move into this? And the first thing, of course, we always like to make sure people kind of know about our disclosures. I do receive funding from the National Institutes of Health, the Department of Defense, and I am an advisor for the Guthy Jackson Charitable Foundation. And I as well have been an NIH-funded investigator for multiple decades and also serve as advisor to the, to the Guthy Jackson Charitable Foundation. We should also point out that we have both been either speakers or consultant advisors to Alexion, Genentech, and Horizon. So with that as our background, we wanted to really focus in on four specific objectives today. And we wanna to try to do this in a way that's as relatable as possible. First, a quick refresher on the basics of immune detection and protection. And then we'll move right into how is immune tolerance established? What is immune tolerance and, and how does it come to exist? Then we'll move on to how is immune tolerance lost? Because loss of immune tolerance is the, the basic problem with autoimmune disease. And then most excitingly, we'll focus on how can immune tolerance be restored? 
And we want to make sure everybody understands that while there is a lot of uh, information that we'll convey today, we can't possibly cover everything. And a lot of the complexities of the immune system, we'll just kind of have to summarize for today's discussion. So please bear with us in that respect. And I would just add that, that this quest for understanding how to restore immune tolerance is aspirational. This is really shared by, by not only patients and their providers with, with NMO, but all autoimmune diseases. It's a great point, Terry. In some ways, you know, if we can solve the problem of immune tolerance in NMO and, and MOGAD, it could open doors to solving autoimmunity in many different um, conditions. So let's move on and we'll now begin sort of to dig into the basics of immune detection and protection in a way that really starts to talk a little bit about what the fundamentals are of the immune system and how they might be, be understood. So let me just start with a quick reminder that there are two basic dimensions of the immune system that protect us against illness and cancer and, and other issues. One of the dimensions is called innate immunity. And this is the immune capability that can act very quickly and without having to learn from experience. The other dimension is adaptive immunity. And this is the immune system that learns from experience and remembers what it learns. Both are involved in immune tolerance, but much of what we'll be talking about today has to do with adaptive immunity. Many of you are probably asking, why did nature create two distinct arms of immune response? And the answer is that these two arms were actually, actually evolved at very different times. And, and therefore, one should think of, of the immune system as not a static entity, but, but one that continues to evolve as the human race evolves. And Terry, I would, I would even take that one step further and just remind everyone that the immune system learns throughout our lives. And so what our immune system knows today is not identical to what it will see and know and remember tomorrow. And all of this is come, comes back to immune tolerance. But let's just think now about what are the, the main cellular drivers of the immune response? And we wanna focus on, on those that people might might recognize from their names and also really get into some of their functions as they relate to immune tolerance. So the three cells that we're going to talk mostly about today are the, the cells that drive immune response. Sometimes people call these the, the regulators or the governors of immune response. They include antigen-presenting cells. These are often abbreviated as APC. T cells or T lymphocytes and B cells or B lymphocytes. So with those three cells in mind, we wanted to just kind of go quickly through a refresher of how they talk to one another and work 
in ways that protect us from threats. So in, there's really three steps in this regard. The first is what we call, call antigen presentation. And in this step, the, the antigen presenting cells, which are constantly looking throughout the body for possible threats or abnormal cells or even infectious microbes, will detect an antigen, they'll process it, and then display it in a way that puts pieces of this antigen on their surface. And this activates the antigen presenting cell so that it can then talk to the, the naive T cell or B cell in a way that requires two signals. And one is the signal from the antigen presenting cell to the T cell or B cell. And the other is the counter response from the T cell or B cell to the antigen presenting cell. And we call this the molecular handshake. And, and one should glean from, from this slide and, and those that follow the notion that, that there is a dynamic interplay between very different sorts of cells, but cells that are interdependent. And one cannot function properly without the rest of the gang. Well said, buddy. So the step two in this regard, after T cell activation is B cell activation. And here, the activated T cell that has been told by the antigen presenting cell about an antigen interacts with a B cell in a very similar way that requires at least two signals. And we call this the molecular handshake between the T cell and the B cell but it also involves cytokines that are generated by the T cell that further tell the B cell how to react, not just whether to react. So what are cytokines anyway, Michael? I, I think I can offer a, at least a brief, a brief description. So these are, the, these are usually proteins. They're relatively small. And, and they're produced by all of the cells that have been mentioned thus far, and they, they get released and, and they kind of stir up the neighborhood, you know? And, and some of the effects of these cytokines are very specific and others are, are quite broad stroke sorts of, of actions and, and like, Everything else in nature, they are associated with both good and bad consequences. The basic name for cytokine derives actually from Greek origins, cyto meaning cell and kine meaning to take action. So these are small proteins that cause cells to take action. Now, once a B cell is conditioned by signaling through the, the T cell interaction and by cytokines, it undergoes activation so that it matures and does something called class switching, where it changes its subclass type from IgM, which is the default mode, to other types of antibody like IgG or IgE or IgA, for example. So this is not like junior high when, when we 
switch classes at the belt, right, Michael? That's right. We're talking about changing types of antibody because different kinds of antibody can have different effects. And we'll talk more about that as we go. The third step really that's involved in immune response to an antigen is referred to generally as the process of inflammation. And the cells that are involved in the inflammatory response are several. They include what are called granulocytes, and those include neutrophils and eosinophils. And one thing that's interesting about NMO and MOGAD is that granulocytes can accumulate within the central nervous system at sites of damage that we see in patients who are having onset disease or relapses. There are other cells that contribute to inflammation that include macrophages and natural killer cells, as well as a special type of T cell called a CD8 positive T cell. And, and, and all of these cells are present at all times, both under states of health when we feel good and in states where, where something's going wrong. And, and it's the, the number of these cells and whether they're turned on or turned off and, and the context, you know, the gang they're hanging out with that really determines whether these cells are, are friends or foes. And that's where we're going next because the main point about immune tolerance is whether all these cells can tell the difference between normal healthy tissues and cells and molecules in our bodies, or whether they mis make mistakes and misrecognize these types of, of cells and tissues. So let's move right into that. And let's talk now about how is immune tolerance established? This is one of the most mysterious and, and as I call it, miraculous aspects of the immune system that really, I think, deserves a few minutes to kind of think through with you. So first, what is immune tolerance? And in a nutshell, immune tolerance is how your immune system protects you against internal or external threats, such as cancer or infection, without harming any of the healthy molecule cells or tissues that make up the body. And put another way, immune tolerance is the system of checks and balances that prevents the immune system from targeting healthy cells and tissues. Bottom line, the immune system walks a perpetual tightrope. And it's kind of like the Goldilocks paradigm, you know, a little too hot, a little too cold, just right. We want it to be just right, exactly. And not just right in terms of amount of response, but, but also to which targets it is responding. And that's kind of where we really get into the key point of tolerance. Tolerance requires the immune system to tell the difference between self and non-self. In terms of self, the immune system wants to tolerate healthy molecules, healthy cells, healthy tissues, normal beneficial wound healing, normal growth and development, for example. 
On the other hand, it does not want to tolerate pathogenic microbes, precancerous cells, cancers, tumors, abnormal wound healing, or abnormal growth and development. So we want the immune system to leave healthy things alone, but go after things that are not healthy. And that's the basic self versus non-self concept. And as I'm sure all of the audience are, are, are thinking, well, aren't there a lot of mistakes made? You know, this is really complicated. I don't know about you, but when I, when, when I enter a large room with many people, sometimes there's some mistaken identity. And, and you know, this can lead to embarrassment, but, but thankfully the immune system has a number, a number of checks and balances that make sure that the, the embarrassment doesn't lead to a fiasco. Or to harm. And that's really what we're, what we're going to talk about next. So the key cells for tolerization are antigen-presenting cells, T cells, and B cells. And we'll talk about that again as we, as we go through this. So what we want to talk about next is how the T cells and B cells really come to know the difference between self and non-self. And I like to think of the thymus as the T cell university. So what, what is really one of the more interesting and fascinating aspects of the immune system is that most of the immune system cells that we are talking about today are born in the bone marrow. So your immune system comes from your bone marrow. And that includes T cells and B cells, white cells, granulocytes, and the other cells that we've been talking about. Well, in ways that are both mysterious and, and amazing, T cells find their way to a, a tissue that is called the thymus. And it's wrapped around your esophagus just above your heart. And it contains several different compartments. And inside of the thymus is where T cells go and, be, and they are tested in three ways that we'll talk about in just a moment. Likewise, B cells are made in the bone marrow and they find their way largely to the spleen. So we think of the spleen as the B cell university. You know, both get their elementary school education in the bone marrow, but T cells go to the thymus, B cells go to the spleen, and like the thymus, the spleen has several compartments wherein B cells undergo very specific tests to see if they are tolerant. And let's just talk a little bit more about that process now. So T cells and B cells must pass three exams, T cells in the thymus, B cells in the spleen, if they are to be allowed to play a role in the immune system. The first test is can they recognize an antigen presenting cell? If yes, they move on. If no, they are deleted. The second test is can they do the molecular handshake with the antigen presenting cell that is presenting to them the antigen of interest? 
If yes, that's called positive selection, they move on. If no, they are deleted. We don't want T cells or B cells that can't do this specific molecular handshake. Finally, can they distinguish between self and non-self? That is, can they tell the difference between something that's good and healthy or something that is potentially a threat and needs to be removed? If the answer is yes, they move on. If the answer is no, negative selection, they are deleted. And I it just want to point can... out one other point, buddy, before we you comment, only 1% of all T cells and B cells successfully passed these three exams. So you're probably thinking to yourselves, why this is really an inefficient process. You know, here we go to, to the trouble that is our immune systems go to the trouble of making all of these cells and we only wind up with about, a, about one or 2% of, of those cells actually passing muster and, and doing something that's potentially productive. So this, I think, will become apparent to you as, as we go through the next few slides just how this inefficiency allows for diverse functionality so that a, a, an enormous number of antigens can be dealt with and just speaks to the enormous repertoire of the immune system and the cast of characters that the immune system is called on to pass judgment over. Sometimes I like to think about this as, you know, what, what the immune system can do versus what it does do. And this, this immense capability, but only allowing cells that pass these exams is really key to tolerance. Well, then what happens to the cells, the few graduate cells that actually, you know, pass these exams and make it through the test grounds. Well, they go to very specific places in the body. One of the most important places is the lymph node. Our body has lymph nodes throughout tissues and in various places. And it's really a, a secondary circulatory system for lymphatic fluid, and for cells such as those we're talking about today. T cells and B cells go to the lymph nodes. Some of them stay in the spleen. And the whole point for their going there is that this is where antigen-presenting cells that have been roaming throughout the body to look for things that might be threats like infection or abnormal like cancer cells, detect what they, what they see and bring it back to the lymph node where they can show these antigens to T cells and B cells there. For those and, of you- And many yeah. of you, virtually all of you have experienced, for instance, infections or, or, or it, states where you're running a fever and, and, and you're, you're not feeling well and, and 
you, you can feel these lumps and bumps in your neck or, or maybe in your groin or under your arms. And those are lymph, lymph nodes. And that's the situation where this coffee house chatting results in enlargement of the lymph nodes as cells are recruited in and join in the cabal to, to actually then leave and, and to protect us from whatever the problem in our health state happens to be. We think of the lymph node as the, as the social club where antigen presenting cells and T and B cells come together to talk about what's happening in the body and if needed to respond. And, and if needed, T cells and B cells that are shown an antigen and um, educated that they think there is a threat will then leave the lymph node in response to go track down the potential threat. So that is how immune tolerance is established. It's a system of checks and balances where immune cells emerge from the bone marrow, are educated and tested in the thymus or the spleen, and then move to lymph nodes, now where they can tell the difference between self and non-self and are prepared to react if antigen-presenting cells show them something that's a potential threat. Well then, an important aspect of autoimmune disease is then how is immune tolerance lost? And this is what we'll talk about next. I think Dr. Smith mentioned earlier that, you know, it, autoimmune disease and loss of immune tolerance is basically a molecular and cellular case of mistaken identity. And Terry, maybe you want to talk a little bit more about that here. So as, as, as Dr. Gaiman has, has described, there, there's this bi-directional functionality that, that information is flowing both to and from each of the component cells shown on, on this slide. And this is important because it's, it's think of it as a combination lock if you will. And all of the tumblers have to align in a certain way in order for positive identification to be made. And as we've alluded to previously, there are mistakes that can occur. And these, these can occur either with, with regard to the antigen presenting cell, the T cell, the B cell, or maybe it's a self antigen that's, that's looking a little funky to, to the immune system. Maybe that has to do with, with some of the, the bad company that the antigen is hanging out with on that evening. But for whatever reason, there are multiple steps where cells and molecules of the immune system can misbehave and misidentify self as foreign. And that's really the key to autoimmune disease is when the immune system thinks 
that a normal or healthy cell or molecule or tissue is not normal and it will attack it. It will think it is foreign or a threat. So there's a lot of different places where immune tolerance can be lost, a lot of different steps. What causes loss of immune tolerance? What causes this mistaken identity? Well, there are several possible steps in this regard. First, sometimes self proteins are expressed out of place or with structures that are not normal. They're misfolded, they are um, decorated with different types of chemicals that should not be. And oftentimes this comes down to a problem with either DNA or RNA. It can also be after the protein is made and how it's processed. Also, there can be dysfunctions in how antigen presenting cells work and, and the, the, the complexes that are, that are generated to do that. Those are called the MHC complex or the major histocompatibility complex. This is the set of proteins that actually does the molecular handshake and that can be a problem. Sometimes the receptors on T cells or B cells can be problematic. There's a system called the recombinase activated genes or RAG genes that shuffle the deck of T cell and B cell receptors to generate diversity. And sometimes mistakes occur there and the T cell receptors or B cell receptors might misrecognize normal proteins or cells as being, as being abnormal. Of course, infection, pre-cancer or neoplasia and cancer can all lead to loss of immune tolerance, including through processes such as molecular mimicry or antigenic misrecognition, reversal of antigenic ignorance and a lot of different possibilities. And finally, pregnancy, or transplantation where a person receives an organ or a tissue from another person can also lead to loss of immune tolerance. So there's a lot of different ways where tolerance can be lost. So, so bottom line here is that sometimes loss of immune tolerance is a good thing. Cancer, infection, and sometimes it's a bad thing. And that can lead to some of the, the problems caused by immune system dysfunction. And among those, autoimmune diseases are, are really the top of our list today. And the consequences along those lines, Terry, of loss of immune tolerance include autoimmune disease, but they can also manifest as, as pregnancy miscarriages and transplant rejection, poor wound healing, impaired growth and development, and even other, other issues. But we're talking about autoimmune disease today and how we can possibly restore immune tolerance. And we're coming to that pretty much as our next topic which again, really kind of gets us into the exciting and, and potentially very hopeful area of restoring immune tolerance for cures. So then how can we restore immune tolerance in these kinds of conditions? Long story short, 
We've talked about how immune tolerance is lost by mistakes in identity and a number of different interactions with the self antigen and between the cells that um, do the recognizing and responding, antigen presenting cells, T cells, and B cells. And basically, if we are going to correct immune tolerance, that is to restore immune tolerance, we've got to correct these problems in ways that overcome whatever mistakes were made. And that sounds like a big job and a complicated job given that we're talking about many possible steps. But one of the really promising ways that, that we and many people are now focusing on restoring immune tolerance in NMOSD and MOGAD is to reverse this combination lock, as, as Terry mentioned. The beautiful thing about a combination lock is you don't have to change all the numbers. All you have to do is change one of them, and that lock will not work anymore. And if we're trying to reverse an autoimmune disease that involves a bunch of different tumblers, if we might just be able to change one of them, the others might follow. So that's kind of a, a concept that we're, we're going to talk about now. So what might be the actual strategies to restore immune tolerance? We've, we've listed a few of them in our, in our minds. And if you're able to see the, the slideshow, you can see the list here. But they, you know, for, for issues that have to do with DNA or RNA problems, there is a, a new technology that probably many of you have heard about called CRISPR. DNA editing, and that can potentially correct problems in DNA that lead to loss of immune tolerance. We know that there may need to be ways to correct the production, the location, or the structure of an antigenic protein. And there are ways to do that now. Uh, the immune system can be taught how to reprioritize antigen-presenting cell, T-cell, and B-cell responses to certain antigens over others, and that's called immune deviation. And the two areas that we'll focus on today have to do with either deleting autoreactive antigen-presenting cells, T-cells, or B-cells. That is actually having the immune system kill the cells that misrecognize normal cell tissues, and that's called censoring or deletion. And finally, to re-educate the immune cells that are responsible for tolerance, the antigen-presenting cells, T cells, or B cells. And this is called reprogramming or retraining. So as we get more and more sophisticated in our understanding of diseases like NMOSD and MOGAD, we, we will be able to pair specific technology for retolerization to the problem. And you, the NIH has a huge drive now to enhance what we call personalized medicine where individuals rather than groups of patients are the target of therapy development. 
And I think what Dr. Yeaman is really leading into has to do with the multiplicity of potential therapeutics and how each of them may provide a separate non-equal pathway to solving diseases like NMO and MOGADS. Great points, Terry. You know, tolerization cures is really going to be a, a combination of personalized medicine meets precision medicine. And that's kind of what we wanted to talk about in the, the last part of the discussion. And that is, what are some examples, specific ways that tolerization might be restored in patients who have NMOSD or MOGAD? And we just kind of wanted to give a few examples here. The first involves something called CAR-T or AA CAR-T cell therapy. So we won't go into a lot of detail here, but, but the CA of CAR-T or AA CAR-T refers to something called chimeric antigen. Um, and what that means is it's a, it's a receptor that can recognize certain kinds of antigens because the receptor is made of a mixture of receptors. So that's the chimeric part. And here, what happens is healthy T cells are drawn from the patient. You've heard about PBMCs. That's where we would get healthy T cells. They're engineered or modified in the laboratory so that they now have these chimeric antigen receptors. And the other thing is, uh, in addition to expressing the chimeric antigen receptors, is these cells are now programmed to be killer cells. And so once they are able to recognize cells that mistakenly identify autoantigens, they can also kill them. So what happens is these CAR-T or double A CAR-T cells are then returned to the patient where they can seek and destroy autoreactive T cells and autoreactive B cells in the patient. So that's one way we delete autoreactive T and B cells. And, and I think that the CAR-T technology is a great example of how huge leaps forward into the future derive from sharing of technology between different sorts of human disease. In this case, cancer and autoimmunity. And the, the, the impact of, of this sort of technology is mind boggling because it, it really reduces a disease or, or a group of diseases to their, their fundamental molecular components. And that for, for those of us who are biologists is, is just really, really exciting. I mean, in many ways, autoimmune disease and cancer are molecular opposites when it comes to tolerance. Cancer, too much tolerance. Autoimmune disease, too little tolerance. So it's a great example of how you know, different diseases can help solve one another. Another example of ways to tolerate in 
NMOSD and MOGAD has actually gone pretty far into the clinic already. And it's called dendritic cell or antigen presenting cell vaccines. Here, dendritic cells, which are antigen presenting cells are taken from the patient. They're exposed to the autoantigen in the laboratory, but under conditions which make the antigen presenting cell tolerant. And it will then educate T and B cells that it interacts with to be tolerant to that antigen. So the, the tolerizing dendritic cell then is now educated in the laboratory. It's returned to the patient where it will teach T cells and B cells to be tolerant to that same antigen. So, so it's, it's kind of like turning a weapon into a walking stick. It, it really, I think, sabotages bad intention and turns it into good. It's sort of turning a weapon into a peace sign. I agree, but it's a, it's a nice way to think about it. Another example of ways that are already being used experimentally to tolerize in diseases that are related to or even within NMOSD and MOGAD landscape are inverse RNA or DNA vaccines. Most of the time we think about vaccines for infectious disease as being able to turn up the immune system to a specific target. For example, the spike protein of the SARS-CoV-2 virus that causes COVID-19. Inverse vaccines turn the immune system down to a specific antigen like aquaporin-4 or MOG. Here, the nucleic acid, either the RNA or DNA is often encoded in some type of a of a capsule like a nanoparticle, where it then either encodes for the production of the autoantigen or its variant that will lead to tolerance. So typically, this is not just regular DNA or RNA, but it's special kinds of DNA or RNA that will teach the immune system, in particular, teach the tolerizing dendritic cell or antigen-presenting cell that rather than responding in an inflammatory way to this antigen, it should respond in a non-inflammatory way to it. And again, once the, the antigen presenting cell is educated to be tolerant, there will be no second signal to the T cell or B cell. And when there's no second signal to these cells, they are either anergic, which means they will not respond, or they are deleted. Either way, we're protecting against auto-reactive T and B cells. So let me move on. We have other examples here, one of which is engineering of autoantigen epitopes. So as you know, most antigens are proteins and autoantigens are self-proteins to which the immune system responds and causes autoimmune disease. Well, we know through a lot of different experiments done by some, some very important groups around the world that certain parts of antigens can be engineered so that they act as decoys. And instead of causing the immune system to be inflammatory toward them, 
it can turn off the immune system response to those antigens. Here, for example, a dendritic cell might be exposed to an engineered autoantigen epitope, for example, emotopes or apitopes are two, two instances under conditions where the dendritic cell is, is tolerizing. And then those are returned to the patient where they tolerize the T cell or the B cell. And lastly, one of the more interesting recent approaches is to actually leverage a very natural tolerogenic system in the body, and that is the red blood cell MHC matching process that occurs. We all know that if, if someone is to be transfused with, with red blood cells from, from a donor, they have to be carefully matched. Otherwise, there can be you know, problems. And that is due to very specific matching and tolerance of red cells within a patient. Well, if that's true, some pharmaceutical and biotech companies have said, why not use that as a way to tolerize against an autoantigen? And the strategy is to take a piece of the autoantigen and either insert it into or express it on red blood cells and then simply let the tolerance mechanisms that clear red blood cells do the rest of the work. And so some of these red blood cells that are now decorated with autoantigen go to special antigen-presenting cells in the liver, which then become tolerant to that antigen and then go down to present a tolerizing message to T cells and B cells so that they become tolerant to that autoantigen. Again, these are just a few examples. There's several others that we'd be happy to talk more about. But again, a lot of exciting work going on now in industry that we're very hopeful will be curative. And when we think about cures, we wanted to just mention, you know, in response to sometimes we hear, well, you know, is tolerization a treatment or a cure? Well, it's a little bit of both, actually. It will be a treatment if the therapy induces temporary tolerance to the autoantigen, there may need to be occasional redosing, but the important point is that there would be no need for immune suppression. Tolerization therapy would be a cure if it induces permanent immune tolerance, and that's our goal ultimately. We'll probably not get there immediately. We'll probably need to find you know, some redosing strategies and that sort of thing, but that would be fine. I think patients would be very happy if we could induce immune tolerance, even if it meant you had to get four infusions a year or two infusions a, a year, especially if you, had, if you were able to get off of immune suppressing therapy. That's really the important idea here. So, those are some of the, you know, the, the, the specifics about how, how tolerization might be applied to NMOSD and MOGAD. And, and we do like to always remember that there's a roadmap here. And the first thing is to identify the autoantigen, you know, then to figure out what targets it affects, which cells, then to figure out a tolerizing strategy. What's the best technology to deal with this particular loss of tolerance? then to put that to the test and optimize it in the laboratory, then into clinical trials, which of course, first and foremost, focus on safety and effectiveness. And then of course, it goes to the regulatory agencies for review and approval. 
One very hopeful aspect of NMO, SD, and MOGAD is that many of these steps have already been achieved. And now we're starting to see some of the, the fruits of our efforts over the last eight to 10 years that the foundation has been working on this that are now moving into the clinic. By comparison, unfortunately, diseases that are more common like multiple sclerosis or type one diabetes, which are also autoimmune, we don't know that much about which autoantigens are most important. And we don't know really a lot of the processes that lead to these autoimmune diseases. So again, NMOSD and MOGAD, these might be the little diseases that could open the door to solving auto, all autoimmune disease. We, we wanted to kind of leave you with the thought about, you know, hopefully this has been helpful, but if you want to learn more about tolerization, there's a couple of places you might think about. The Guthy Jackson Charitable Foundation website now contains a microsite that is under the breakthroughs banner tab at the top of the website, and it will take you to a a, a subsite that's called Pioneering Curative Therapies. And in there, you can learn a lot about tolerization. And also, you'll be able to see more than a dozen or two dozen companies that are working in this space. So I think with that, we just really wanted to thank the, the Siegel Rare Neuroimmune Association and all of its staff and leadership and really being a partner with both the Guthy Jackson Charitable Foundation, but with patients in really trying to do everything we can to, to save and improve lives. We really appreciate the opportunity to talk about tolerization today and look forward to, to hopefully doing so again in the future. Thank you both so much. We really appreciate your time and this incredible presentation. I know I learned a lot about tolerization that I didn't know, and I'm sure everyone who listens to this and views the presentation as well will learn a lot too. So thank you both for your time and thank you Jacinta for joining us. And I hope to see you all again so we can continue this conversation. <laughs>